0: Hello, world, and welcome to the Philanise Nash Experience Podcast, an audio series of lighthearted and sometimes third-eye-opening conversations on entrepreneurship, leadership, and relationships from the African-American perspective. I am your host, Philanise Nash. Welcome. And my guest today is a sought-after healthcare leadership coach and consultant. She's a former healthcare CEO with 30 years in the game and a proven track record in strategy development. She's currently an independent director at Nixoa, Brookdale Senior Living Inc. and Quest Analytics. Her accomplishments include being featured in the Profiles in Diversity Journal and recognized as one of the top influential women in corporate America by Savoy Magazine. She's 2016's Woman of Influence and one of Nashville's 10 Most Powerful Women in Business. In 2017, Nashville Business Journal named her as the most admired CEO and was featured in Nashville Medical News. In 2019, she was named to the most influential corporate directors list by Women, Inc. Magazine. Let's hear how she's influencing the next generation of healthcare leaders. Let's give a warm Philanese Nash Experience podcast welcome to Rita Johnson Mills. Woo! Thank
1: you. Thank you so much. Well, welcome, Rita. I'm glad you're on the show today. I am, too. And happy. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We did. How about you? Yes, it was very quiet, just my husband and my son and I. Um, But it was relaxing and exactly what I needed at this time.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Ours was very low key. The eldest came home from college and we just it was just the five of us around the dinner (laughs) table. (laughs) Well <laughs> so let's let's jump into this conversation. I talk about COVID with each one of my guests because it's still here. We have a new variant that just popped off. We're almost two years into this thing, but it has affected individuals, families, and businesses. Can you speak a little bit about how COVID affected you, your business over this last year, year and a half?
1: Sure. You know, um I firmly believe that COVID are are some Something is, is always going to be with us going forward. Uh, we heard the president talk, President Biden talk about Omicron this morning, and his serious concern about it, and encouraging vaccinations, encouraging boosters. So I, I think you know we're going to have to be in a constant state of taking better care of ourselves and being more alert. Um, On a personal level, um, COVID affected me in the most devastating way, uh, in that my mother passed at the end of January from COVID. Mm, I'm sorry, very sorry to hear that. And so, still trying to grasp that and continue doing the things that she would have wanted, you know, so it's, it's still very heavy. I've had many family members. Um, with COVID, they've all survived. My 21, 22-year-old son, who was fully vaccinated, um, got COVID and uh, literally had no symptoms. So I am truly a, a witness to what I believe age, health, and the vaccines do. Because literally, um, he had a stuffy nose and watery eyes. And that was it. So we feel blessed for that. My husband and I are both vaccinated. So even though he was in the home with us, we've never developed COVID. Um, I have since gotten my booster because my work travel has picked up. And I said, if I'm going to have to be on these airplanes and going to these different cities, I need to have as much protection as I can. So. Um, and that was fine. I, I feel better having gotten it, especially hearing about this, this other uh, variant that has, has come. But I think in terms of work, uh, you know, people are coming back together. Uh, I'm fairly limited in my external engagements with large groups. I still won't do uh, large group meetings. The, the largest crowds I'm in is, is at an airport and perhaps on the plane and you know and I just kind of stay prayed up and, and know that I'm covered and and keep that going but I still do all of the things that I need to do to protect me. I'm not afraid to ask companies that I'm going into with everyone in the meeting be vaccinated because if not, I'm not coming. Um, and I think we're going to see that happening uh, more and more. But the world is trying to get back to normal. Things are moving. People want to meet face to face again. And I just I'm just hopeful that Omicron won't put a a halt or a stop to that If if we can get as many people vaccinated as possible. True. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's one thing that I try to emphasize at the end of every episode is, you know, everyone to become vaccinated because it's not only protecting yourself, but it's also protecting those around you, Mm -hmm. as you stated. So let's jump into your origin story. You know, you are the first Black female that I've met who has held such a high level, uh, executive level in healthcare. Can you talk, you've got over 30 years in this industry. Tell us a little bit about who is Rita Johnson Mills? How did you become a healthcare CEO? And then how are you developing the next generation of healthcare
1: leaders? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I didn't kind of grow up and decide one day that I was going to be a CEO of, of a health plan. Um, but I firmly believe that our steps are purposefully set even before we know what they are, and that there are people that are in our lives, some we know, some we don't, that help to guide those steps. I grew up one of 12 children in uh, rural Missouri, a small town called Haytide that most people have never even heard of. Um, it's in the Boo Hill of Missouri. It was the poorest city, county in the state when I was there, and it still is today. Uh, And it's very agricultural, just very, very rural, not many jobs there at all. When I graduated high school, um, I graduated in the top 10% of my class because one thing I could always do was learn. And I had a great memory, so I could pass tests and I can do those things. So I asked my high school counselor about college, and she told me, why are you asking me about college? Colored girls don't go to college. So... I had a brother in college, but I didn't ask him. Most of my other brothers, uh, the older siblings had gone into the military. So I got a job in a factory. And it was that factory job that sent me to college because the foreman called me in one day and told me that I was not making production. I was not going to make production, even with everyone helping me. And he was going to have to fire me. And at that point, I said to him, you're right. I'm not cut out for this work, but don't fire me. Let me work through the holidays, and I promise I will quit. That January, I was enrolled at Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri, and I went to college year-round, so I graduated in three years because I was afraid, quite honestly, to work again because I felt that I was a failure at working. And uh, then I got an opportunity to go to the Ohio State University for graduate school, full scholarship. I took it because, again, it was something I was good at, not because I truly understood the value of that advanced degree. It was just keeping me out of the workforce the way I thought about it. Um, Once I got there, I then met other young people of color that were in the university we begin to understand it was for them to keep their federal scholarship monies. But we said, well, you know what, we're going to take advantage of that. If that's what it takes. And we, many of us did. Um, I ended up getting a dual master's uh, while I was at Ohio State. And from there, I'll skip the smaller little jobs I had. But then I got called into to a position for the Ohio Department of Health as a budget analyst, and that kind of kicked off my health care experience. I spent 10 years in Ohio doing various leadership roles. My last role there was chief of the Bureau of Medical Assistance, where I was responsible for all of Medicaid, with the exception of long-term care. Now, the interesting thing is, for someone who grew up on Medicaid, to then be in charge of Medicaid, it just kind of how things happen. And then at I, I left Ohio and went to HICFA, which is now CMS. And again, director of Medicaid managed care for the country. So again, a program I grew up on now influencing how healthcare happens for others. I left a state government, federal government, and went into private industry with my first job at uh, DC chartered health plan as a chief operating officer in Washington, DC. From there, uh, Centene Corporation, where I ran several markets, and then ending with um, United Healthcare uh, in um, Minneapolis, which then uh, led me to Nashville, which we jumped on because it got us closer to family again. And my last three years in private industry, I was the CEO for United Healthcare Community Plan of Tennessee. Uh, and then I left to pursue um, corporate board work and that is kind of where I, I have landed now and and also some um, healthcare care Yes.
0: Well, first of all, I love how you said the Ohio State <laughs> University because everyone knows well, I'm from Ohio didn't know, I'm not a Buckeye, but um, you're from the Buckeye state so it's yeah. the, oh, <laughs> it is the it is the Ohio State University. Yes. That is an amazing story, especially the the 360 on being a recipient of Medicaid and then being in charge of the policies and things that affect that. That tenure in healthcare, I'm sure you did not see, or it was quite few and far between, other Black and brown people of color in those executive positions. In your consultancy work, Can you talk a little bit about how you're building up the next generation of black and brown leaders in healthcare and what are some of the challenges that you see as far as the issues behind mental health and wellness of individuals who are trying to achieve that level of success?
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, My mentorship coaching wasn't officially coaching, but mentorship of black and brown leaders actually started when I was in corporate America. Uh, I was in a position to influence and help to develop new leaders within the organizations that I worked in. So I'm really, really proud to say that I can count on one hand, I can count at least five African-American executives that because of my mentorship and leadership and coaching with them are now running health plans as CEOs uh, some of them I now have a more formal coaching relationship with but I feel mm-hmm. really good about that I think of um, others who may that I've helped to move up the ladder they aren't CEOs but they are doing, things at a level that they never imagined they could be doing moving from administrative support to management. So I've done those things really almost unconsciously because it was just the right thing to do. And now as an executive coach, when I go into organizations and I'm sought after because I am African American and there are not very many African American executive coaches And women and minority leaders thrive and want that connection. So um, I end up coaching uh, primarily uh, African-American leaders within the organizations because I want that too. And I want to help them to build up their skill set. Some of the mental health or behavioral issues that I experienced and, and many of them are still experiencing. And the primary one is understanding and and believing that you are enough. We always feel like we have to give more. We have to do more because we are looked upon as, as not being enough that, that, you know, Oh, well, she was very articulate. Oh, would you say that if I was white? The, the expectation of being articulate is there for them uh, being the only one in the room, the only one at the table, and trying make working hard to to make room for them, and and really helping other senior majority leaders understand what it's like to be black in corporate America. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid to have that conversation, even in the boardroom. I'm not afraid to have the conversation of what it's like to be me in their world. And so I I purposefully speak on these things as often as I can, because I think it's important that if people hear it over and over again, maybe at some point it will start to sink in.
0: Well, number one, let me thank you for being a pioneer and paving the way and having that ability to speak candidly with those and those ears being open and listening to you. So thank you for that. In your experience, and I've asked entrepreneurs and business leaders this next question, what characteristics make up a good leader or someone who can thrive in upper management, no matter, you know, whether or not they're a person of color or what have you, but in your coaching experience, what are the three top characteristics
1: personality traits that make a good leader i think the the number one character trait is is integrity you know say if you say you're going to do something do it and if you can't own it so having that that high integrity creates trust and confidence i think the second is the ability to listen and that is listen for understanding, not listening to get your point of view across and making that authentic connection with the person that you're listening to uh, so that they know that you're really hearing them and not just giving them airspace. And I think the, the third is uh, communicating, communication, having uh, really uh, clear lines of communication communicating the good, the bad and the ugly so that no one has an opportunity to put their spin on it or what they think happened. Because as a leader, you, you have to be authentic in your communications and you have to be open in them.
0: Those are really good nuggets of wisdom. So I hope all of my viewers and listeners have taken heed to that. People need to be able to rely on you. You need to be able to understand what's being said to you and you need to be able to verbally communicate your position. So those are great nuggets of wisdom. And the third tenant of this show, we talk about entrepreneurship, leadership, and the third tenant of the show is relationships. And so I always want to ask our guests, how do you balance? And when you were, you know, in the hustle and bustle of growing your career and being, becoming a CEO of a major health plan, What are some of the ways that you balanced family life and home life while
1: growing your career? You know, if I had any regrets about my career, it would be not making it home for holidays because I wanted that downtime with my immediate family. And so I missed out on some things. When I was traveling about 70% of the time, missing out on my son's sporting activities and, you know, kind of being on the phone, you know, so I feel like I missed some things in his middle years that if I could have changed, I, I would. I was very fortunate that, you know, my husband and I sat down and had the conversation about you know, the fact that, you know, I've got this job and I've got all of this stuff going on and I don't want a nanny raising our son. So he made the ultimate sacrifice by quitting his job and becoming a stay home dad and raising our son while I was on the road. And um, I will be forever grateful for that. And and I I feel like God has given me a second chance to be home more in in his college years and, and late high school years to try to make up for some of those early years that i missed. Is there anything that you would tell someone who's watching or
0: listening, a piece of advice, would that be to make sure you carve out that time for family? Or would it be making some of those sacrifices? I guess sometimes it just comes down to what works best for that family and what their analysis is. But if there's one thing that one element or one thing that really someone could take away on work life balance, what would that be?
1: I think it would honestly be have the conversation with your spouse Mm -hmm. because one parent has to be dominant in that child's life. And you guys have got to come to grips with who that parent is going to be and understand and not have any blowback about that. So I think that's the one thing. And, and if you are in one of these positions and you do not have to travel, like now hardly anyone is traveling as much as they were, but if you don't have to travel 60, 70% of the time, then yes, carve out that some time for family. Have put some limits in place. I mean, when I wasn't traveling and I was home, my limits would be my mornings are off limits. I'm going to have breakfast with my husband and my son. I'm going to make sure he gets off to school. When I'm in town, everyone knew that that was my limit. I would not see you or talk to you before 9 a.m. You can have me into the evenings, but I refused when I was on the ground to burn both ends of the candle to be available all morning and all night. You have to put some limits in place
0: on that. That's a good piece of advice, especially now, like you mentioned, more and more people are working from home. A lot of corporations are recognizing that it does work. You know what I mean? So you just have to put those limiters on your time. Mm -hmm. So we're getting close to the end of our episode, Rita. And so I just want to make sure that all of the viewers and listeners can at least follow you on social media. I believe that you're on LinkedIn. And how does your name appear on LinkedIn so that they can at least connect with you and follow you there?
1: Yes, it's Rita Johnson hyphen Mills. I keep it simple.
0: Simple and sweet. Well, we thank you so much, Rita, for coming on and thank you very much for being a pioneer in an arena where, like we said before, weren't that many faces of color and definitely not that many faces of women of color in those positions. And we also applaud your efforts in making sure that the next generation are well equipped to become leaders. So thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me. You know, this time went really, really fast. So then we'll uh, have to have a part two.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well,
1: everyone who is watching
0: and listening, you can catch Rita's social media handles in the show notes and any other resources that were mentioned will be mentioned there. You can also find this episode and any of the previous season one or season two episodes on my website, Phelanise Nash Experience. Dot com. Make sure that you subscribe, like, and watch all of our episodes on the YouTube channel, Philanise nice Nash Experience Podcast. And also follow me on social media at Philanise nice Nash on Facebook, LinkedIn, and on Instagram. So we are still in the midst of the pandemic. COVID is still with us. I just want to encourage everyone to get vaccinated. It's going to be around, but we need to get back to some normalcy. So stay safe, get vaccinated, and we'll see each other again on the next episode. Peace.